Hi, and welcome to the Relational Play Podcast. My name is Mark Green. I'm Saliha Bava. Our hope here is that you'll be able to go away today with something you can try in terms of your own relationships. Or something that you're already doing that now you become conscious of and notice it and become more mindful of putting it into practice. Many of the ideas in the Relational Play Podcast come from our book, The Relational Book for Parenting. And remember, Each podcast is just working with a single or a couple of ideas. The book itself has hundreds. We want to have a conversation today about one of the things that's sort of born out of relational capacities and the back and forth of relating, and that is our resiliency during times that are extremely challenging. This podcast is taking place uh, from the heart of New York City, at the apex of the wave of coronavirus fatalities that are now hitting the city. It's April 8th, 2020. Personally, we have been in uh, what they call shelter in place or homebound, doing work from home, living and socially distancing for nearly a month now for us. Right, and the implications of that have had a significant impact on our relationship, Uh, on our relationship with our son who is here with us, he's 14, and on our sense of of what the world is and what it means to be a person living in it now Mm -hmm. versus just three short months ago. Right, as I've worked as a disaster mental health responder and I've worked in psychosocial projects and what we know both from practice and research and learning from all of these various like tsunami-like, when I say tsunami-like, I mean these catastrophes, these big changes that come onto our life. They're just brought on. Somehow, as human beings, we start forming communities, we start connecting, we start self-organizing our response. And in that moment, we all, whether it's in the micro-communities of a family or in the macro-communities as, as, as a larger community response, we find a way to go on. We create a way to go on. And the society, the community reformats and moves through that. And it's that piece that we want to talk about and to kind of notice how are we noticing those moments. Right. So there's a larger cultural orientation by which we begin to adapt and address the challenges we're facing. But there's a mirror version of that going on in our personal relationships. Maybe for once in a lifetime... We're actually seeing what it's like to be cut off Mm -hmm. from the impact of a larger network of relationships and instead seeing only these few close family relationships in a concentrated way over time. So, so, So lots coming up from that one statement that you just said. Because it makes us, we're all part of the beehive, but it makes us all look into our one little right the little cell the the little cell of the beehive beehive right yeah we're all focused on our cell and making sure it's safe in terms of the virus and disinfecting and doing all the things that we do to protect that one cell right and yet it couldn't be clearer how interconnected we are but for today we want to talk about the back and forth of relating whether you want to look at it as the interdependencies between the cells or within the cell. Right. What's happening at the family level, Saliha? So at the family level, the relationality or the interconnectedness is playing out. 
this context is emergent. And what do I mean by that? It is changing day to day. We here in New York City were not told to wear face masks, for example. Yeah, don't you don't need face masks. Only people who are sick need them. Only put them on if you're going to the doctor's office and you have a cough, etc. Etc. That was the story for exactly. for weeks. For weeks, and literally three days back, that story has changed. Right now, everybody should be wearing some kind of face covering. So, how do you do that in a household? As adults, we both could have different perspective on how we receive that news. Do we receive it as something that should be done because it's being presented as still as an option? Do we mandate it in our household? Right. Uh, if you have children, how do you how do you introduce it? It's becoming warm depending on where you are. It's too hot. You don't want to put a face covering. Um, and it's for when we go out. So that's one simple action. There are tons of these kinds of actions. How often to wash your hands? What should be wiped down? How to... When you step out from coming from outside from buying your groceries yeah uh, do you remove your clothes do you put it in the wash each of those are actions that are being closely examined because of the conditions we're living in right and every bit of that feels heavy and tiring and exhausting and I don't I don't see any of those aspects of our daily lives right now as being something which gives me energy it feels like it takes energy exactly. to do that exactly. stuff so that's context the conditions of the situ situation is the same, wear a mask or not. We are all in COVID times. But how we understand it and experience that, yeah. that funny. contextual difference because is going to play out. I see that as the situation is not the same. Yeah. Because on one hand, you have a parent who has authority, and you have a child who has less authority. And the child may be feeling at this point like they don't get to go to school, they don't get to see their friends, they don't get to do a ton mm -hmm. of things that they want to do. And it's all because of the authority figures in their house. Mm -hmm. So the parent that has the authority to say, you need to wear the mask. And the child is like, you know what? I've done everything you've asked of me, but this, I'm drawing the line here. Yes. Right? Yes. So contextually, yes, it's all the same. Everyone has the same set of expectations. But contextually, it's a question of how many times have people with power had to use it in a way which is like, I'm sorry, no more back and forth about this, you have to do this. And how many people who do not have power in that relationship have acquiesced, even though they have a growing sense of frustration? Mm -hmm. And where, how are we managing that between the different parties in the household? How can we give a little bit of power in order to, when we need to use ours, we haven't already run run the well dry in terms of patience with that. Mm -hmm. Well, for okay, so so there's so much here, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what you're saying is what I mean by there are multiple contexts. Right. Right. Simultaneously. The, simultaneously, there's a shared context that we're all in the tsunami. We're all in this COVID. It's it's happening all around us. But then the experience of it and how we punctuate punctuate is another word we use. How we mark what context from which to speak. If I'm speaking from a child context, you are the parent, you have all the authority, that's a context for me. Right. It may not be your context, and it's a shared context, which is parent and child, but it is still not your punctuation. All right. you're saying is, I have a responsibility to keep you safe, I have to keep myself safe, I have to keep my community safe, and that's a different context that you're coming from. So recognizing that within this larger sphere, we're all coming from different places. Right, and the context is changing. Exactly. Because, and I'm sure we've all felt this, yeah. I need you to just do this 
for 45 days yes. until the wave passes through this city. Mm -hmm. And for us in New York City, that's literally the wave moving through the hospitals. Right now, there aren't enough beds, there aren't enough uh, ventilators, there aren't, they're running low on the drugs they need. So we're saying to everyone, just do this unpleasant, difficult isolation for 45 days mm -hmm. so that wave can move through so that if we do fall ill there'll be a hospital bed for mm -hmm. us and someone to care for us now of course that's an arbitrary number it may be six months before this wave moves through we don't know right and so that's the change you're talking about that we're saying it and it is changing well and not only that we're we're sort of stuck with this process of trying to decide how much power and authority we're going to apply to keep our children safe or for that matter our partner who's a little reluctant to put the mask on that that was mm -hmm. me last week mm -hmm. um, <laughs> now I'm wearing it so how much effort authority request if we have a bank of credits with someone and we decide to spend some of that in order to get something done how much of that we can do and how much we're, we're gonna decide you know what I'm spending the whole bank right now so during the next 45 days I can make sure that I get alignment with what I'm asking of my child or my partner and then we find out oh we got to do another 45 days right so I think you're speaking to a couple of different things one is frames how do we frame the whole scenario and I love how you're using the language of it's a bank there's credit how much is going in how much is getting yeah uh, the r reserve is being pulled out how much are you putting back in the bank uh -huh. um, and given that it's an emergent context is it going to be 45 days? Is it going to be another 45 days after that? Are we talking about 90 days? What, what's going on here? So how do I spread out my credit over that time? Yeah. For the economic metaphor works for literal money too. We are all having to figure that out. That's why sometimes there's that sense of panic, right? Right. Because of the uncertainty. So, so part of this, when you say, how are we doing as families? Part of this is learning by doing, which is having the kinds of rules that we have to put in place, the requests that we have to put in place, but also the check-ins. Let's have fun with the rules, the requests, and the check-ins. Hmm. And what do I mean by that is maybe put the child in charge for a couple of days and see how they would run it. Say, here's a problem we have to solve. The state has asked us to do X, Y, Z. How do you think? Why don't you run the meeting and come up with solutions? It is creating a teaching learning moment in my, again, this is a frame. It may be giving power for a parent. Right. But for me, it is creating context that I'm using the here and now to resource my child, if they're old enough, which teens are, to start planning, start designing. Here are the constraints. How do we solve this problem? Right. And if you have a younger child, you might say, okay, I, we're running the, you know, the face mask, who goes to the store stuff. But we need somebody to run the brownie department. And so you put three boxes of brownie mix on the table and you say, you're in charge of the brownies. How often we make them, yes. what time of day we eat them. Uh, I really want a brownie soon, but you may say, Dad, we need to have it after dinner tonight, later, so that we can serve them. Or you might say, we're making all three boxes right now. Well, and, would you? Uh, would you as a parent allow for that? that right, 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 right. right? But in that moment, maybe, just maybe, if the dynamic is right in the household, you're putting a little money back in that account that you can use later mm -hmm. to spend, to mm -hmm. ask, look, I need this mm -hmm. from you. And in this way, we are acknowledging that 
some of the normal rules of a household have to give way in, in order to create some sense of agency for children that are otherwise basically not feeling any agency because they're being told what to do and they don't feel like they have any voice for them just like yeah. we as adults feel we don't have any choice here or something yeah, yeah, yeah. but we make up those choices this lack of choice that we're feeling in the larger world maybe we can create a container mm -hmm. that holds all of us that includes choice spaces that are intentionally playful or intentionally funny or acknowledge the absurdity of some aspects of this and and not only are we doing that with our children we're doing that with each other potentially right so that brings us to this notion of because we're talking about putting things in place so it brings us to this notion of structure and flexibility yeah and containers right containers I'm including under structures right yeah, yeah, as yeah. in how do we do we go for that. the three boxes do we go for the three boxes of brownies right How do we now structure it i'm going you know what forget this podcast i'm going to make the brownies, brownies. but did we add a box <laughs> or did we use up those in those three boxes we i made? know i know i know but listen also what's interesting to me is you talked about the container as a structure uh -huh. and i think of the container not as the bowl but the space that's in it uh, right this the bowl sits in the bowl is this physical thing but for me the container is all the fluidity and motion and back and forth and and stuff that's in the space the bowl contains huh. and that when I think about you and I and Gus what I'm seeing in that space it's full of all the adjustments and shifts and idea oh Lily. and she said you didn't name her right oh, Lil oh by the way Lily is always here for our podcast she sits right next to us and uh, so you may hear from her occasionally and if you do um, we're just gonna let her growl or bark or do whatever she's doing cuz she's part of the podcast and and the space that's right we're we're creating some space for Lily to growl anyway so this idea that that space is this this area where change and, and adjustments and and connection and relating is going on um, that space can have some some play in it and some moving back and forth between who has the authority can I can I just say something yeah 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 for me, it's not about so much as who has the authority, it's how we play with authority. See, well, this, I even, think even that moment of who has the authority, before that comes the step of what we even think authority is and where it belongs. If we think it only lays with parents, yeah, yeah, and that children don't somehow impact our life or have is, authority over us, or authority, yeah, Gus gets up some days and he goes, What's for breakfast? and I'm like, I don't know, why don't you make breakfast today? and he's like, You're the parent, feed the child, and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, man. <laughs> okay. Even though he knows how to make breakfast. But in this moment, that's his right. way of He's saying, saying, care for me. Look, there's a system in place here, and you better honor it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so in that moment, he's using his authority as someone who's aware of the system, right? The, the system that's in place. And you have to laugh. You have to say, oh, okay. All right. And to recognize that this is one way children may show up like, I want to be cared for. Right? This is what we mean by things are emerging we're talking about a kid who gets up makes his own breakfast etc and has recently been saying what's our breakfast and well and yeah and he was getting up making his own breakfast and then leaving for school yeah which is huge right which was his request he wanted to do that he wanted he that wanted independence, independence. Right, right. exactly so we were happy making the breakfast but that's what he asked for and then suddenly when we went into mm -hmm. this home schooling kind of environment because everything is online now 
it's all shifted. So he's asking to be cared for, and maybe he's not saying, I need a hug, I need this, mm-hmm. I need that. He's like, hey, do your job, make breakfast. And in that regard, you can either view it as, well, I was a little bit bossy, or you can say, this is how he's signaling that he wants to be cared for. And you can just flow right into that. You got it. What do you want? And in that moment, we're making a conscious choice when and where to come with a no and when and where to flow with a yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And Absolutely that. that's also an example of authority, that people have authority in the sense, not we're not talking about this authority given by, vested upon us by some outside power. We're talking about how power functions in relationships. Right. That we all have agency and we also have choice on how we respond. And it's in that back and forth we are creating that emotional climate in our homes right now. I'd like to talk about this idea of our natural human resiliency and how we can either notice or not notice how it's emerging right now in our homes as we uh, deal with the, with a vast range of implications, which can include, oh, I'm not making any money. It can hit in terms of our fear of our health. It can hit in terms of our sense of feeling trapped. It can hit in terms of Sometimes it can turn up all of the uh, anxieties and the the disagreements that can exist in relationships like yours and mine Mm -hmm. because before we had a lot of other activities to sort of uh, create space between us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was talking to one of the therapists earlier and she said it's like we're all faced to notice our monsters. Like the things that I could ignore earlier about my dynamics relationally, it's now in the room. We still have a choice point here, meaning people are either fighting or you can use it as a moment to grow and come on now. Let's go into it and delve with. Right, right. The point I'm trying to make is that there is more scrutiny happening because it's in our face. Well, we don't get to turn away from it. But I would also suggest that there's a second wave passing through. We have our histories together in relationship, right? With our children, with our partners. Um, And that history may be uh, reactive and loaded and difficult. Uh, Some of us may have been six months away from deciding to get divorced when this thing hit us. Mm -hmm. Some of us may be really happy and comfortable in our relationships when this thing hit. But there's another wave moving through it, which is this intense grief about loss of work, about people dying. The city is essentially sleepwalking right now. and, And if you go out in the evenings, Uh, all you hear is the sirens in the distance. This is a difficult, frightening, challenging time. And I've had to stop and let myself be grieving and feel this ambiguous loss that I can't even fully name. Lack of motivation, our own depression, our own exhaustion, our own fear, our own sadness. And how do we make space for our partner and our child in that? So for me, the first thing that called attention was noticing how we're naming it. I wouldn't call that as lack of motivation. Sure, it can be called that. Yeah. But it's just what you just said earlier. It is honoring that grief. It is noticing that sense of loss. Yeah. It is saying that I'm a person who's feeling the depth. Yeah. And sometimes that has to be heard, even though I don't want you to feel it because I see it's shutting or you down. Or don't remind me about it. I don't want to hear it. Maybe right, that. Right, I, right, I, right, right. Yeah, that could also be the case. Sure. But in that moment, I have to not fight you. I have to hear it. I have to let it land 
because I'm also self-protecting, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to hear it, as you're saying, but I have to hear it for you. Can I notice your language for a second? Yes. I have to not fight it, mm-hmm. which is a negative, right? I have also, to not fight. Which is my... What's an affirmative of that? So, so that right there, you just did what we are talking about, which is noticing how you're noticing, yeah. right? So you're noticing, in my opinion, am I using affirmative? What kind of language am I using, right? right? right so right. so that is an example of noticing how you're noticing. So I could frame it as, I have to honor it. Yeah. That's the affirmative language. Yeah, and I, I, I literally couldn't think of the word. Mm-hmm. I asked you that question because it felt like in that moment that all we can do is not fight it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we are still in the fight. So the well, research, we're in the fight, but also... Some research shows that when, when we say the word not, our brain doesn't You're recognize. doing something difficult for me to experience, and my and the only place I can get to is to resist the negative response I'm having. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I want a frame where I can actually move into a positive response. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, like a, a, a way of moving from not doing harm or even engaging my own feelings about that and sharing them. And in that moment, mm-hmm. letting go of some... I mean, I feel like I'm so locked down sometimes. And I'm just trying not to mess up, right? So in that moment, it, I, I'm reminded when I say not fight it, I'm reminded that, that all I have is this 24-7 sense that I'm trying to maintain control over bad reactions or bad responses in all of this, right? Don't lose your temper. Don't get upset. Don't be reactive to her experience. All of those things. And I think a lot of people are feeling this, right? Like, how in God's name do I move into a positive frame about someone noticing that there's death all around us? I mean, what are we? where do we even go with something like that? You just described the human experience. The experience itself is not positive or negative. The fight is not negative or positive. The feeling that you want to have it all go away or yourself go away is not positive or negative. Honoring that as the human spirit calling for help, the human spirit asking to be held, embraced, looked at, acknowledged, that's one of the first steps we can do. Second is, which I think you were going there, which is how do we frame it? So I just did a frame of humanizing it. I think we have to notice there is no right or wrong response here. I see you. I, I see what you're going through. Yeah. I, that idea that instead of fighting the urge to say, don't show me that, we can say, okay, man, it's been a long day. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'm sad. But I see you. And I see that this is hard. And I see myself wanting to run away from it, yeah, yeah, wanting yeah. to protect. Yeah. But it's not easy to do these things if I'm not feeling like I'm in a held safe relationship. So I want to honor that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That things when you're cooped up don't feel as safe. Like, what if you've been telling me all this while, Salia, be strong, we got a child, be strong, be strong. I may not feel like I can come and tell you, hey, I think I'm flipping out. Because I don't know how you're going to receive that. And and if I can just note, your comment is very important. And and we need to acknowledge that there are, that one of the big challenges of this whole shelter-in-place thing is that there are men and women who are trapped in abusive or violent relationships who are literally trapped now. And I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over that. Uh, And I also don't want to gloss over relationships where people have felt stuck for a really long time and there is no simple 
expression of compassion that's going to break them out of that. But that being said, we we are um, these uh, emergent, resourceful creatures, human beings. Mm -hmm. And whatever the constraints are that we are placed in, and this qualifies as an amazingly clear constraint, stay in your home, things begin to emerge, mm -hmm. right? Things are, are new ways of doing things. And I, if I may, our son, who's 14, uh, is no longer allowed to go to high school with his friends. He has taken a lot of those relationships online. New rituals are emerging in terms of how they're connecting and how they're talking. Um, I can almost tell which person he's talking to online. He goes in his room, he closes the door, we, uh, we're, we're fine with that. But I can hear his voice rise and fall in different ways depending on who he's talking to. But one of the rituals that's emerged, um, and it may last a week, it may last longer. I don't know when it began, but I, I went past his door maybe 12.30 at night and I heard his speakerphone on and there was, he, he was talking back and forth with a friend from high school and it, it didn't sound like a normal conversation. It sounded like a recitation, right? He and his friend, starting late in the evening, were reading The Great Gatsby to each other. They're reading this novel back and forth. I don't know, a few paragraphs at a time, back and forth. And that became something that they did regularly. And his comment to me was, well, we're doing it so we won't go insane. Now, to, to put that in context, we're all struggling with this question of how much can we manage before we start to feel like we're losing it. And to walk by in the night and hear those two voices moving back and forth over the ether in the heart of New York City during a catastrophic loss of life. It's like a flower blooming in the desert. It's like this thing coming into being. I would suggest that we're all doing things like this. Mm -hmm. And if we see them for what they are, what they are is they're the beginning of new ways of living, of life and living. And we're going to need them going and, forward. And, and that's a beautiful example of the human spirit. And also that there are many threads. How you want to see it is part of how we create it. Sure. Right? You could you could have heard and you could have got scared about that statement. This is a way for us to not go insane, right? Yeah. You, you could yeah. be like, what's wrong with my son? What's going on? What's going to happen? You could have gone down that rabbit hole. Or I could have gone down a simple rabbit hole of, hey, you're not supposed to be on your phone after midnight. A simple rule-breaking moment. I could have turned it into that. Instead, you went with what I think the, these times, these uh, tsunami-like changes when they come over our life requires us to notice how we are beautifully, intricately, in delicate, in slight touch ways, adapting and shifting right. and finding a way to go on. This has been the Relational Play Podcast with Mark Green and Sally Hababa. Till next time, bye. Bye. If you'd like a single resource for hundreds of relational practices, ideas, stories, fables, and games, all in one place, order your copy of The Relational Book for Parenting today at Amazon.com. We sure appreciate your support. Sally Hababa is an associate professor of marriage and family therapy at Mercy College. She also has a private practice for couples therapy in New York City. Mark Green speaks and writes on manhood, fatherhood, and culture. He's also a senior editor at the 
Goodman Project. For more information on the Relational Book for Parenting, please visit our website at thinkplaypartners.com. You can follow Saliha Bhava on Twitter at thinkplay. You can follow Mark Green on Twitter at remakingmanhood. 